Well, good to see you here today. I hear we have some more snow coming in tonight, but none for now. <laughs> That's a good thing not to have snow on a Sunday morning. How many of you had to get out there and shovel some this week? I was out there a couple of times, and the last time I was out there shoveling, you know, it was uh, one of those types of snows you had to kind of chip off of the sidewalk. It was You had to kind of scrape it off. And so I was out there, and I was scraping. I was doing this sort of thing, and I looked over, and my the neighbor was out. The young lady was out there, and she was she was shoveling away. What was really unusual about it was that this particular neighbor has a, sort of a stick-around boyfriend. And so he was out there in the morning, and she had the shovel. And he had the phone. And he was talking on the phone, and she was shoveling. And then he hung up the phone, and he watched her shovel. And I'm thinking this isn't right. <laughs> this, this shouldn't be going on. <laughs> and so um, this continued on for, for quite some time. She was working on the entire driveway. <coughs> I had gone over and done the sidewalk for them. So that was uh, that was done. But um, she was doing the, the driveway. And then lo and behold, he came over and he took the snow shovel from her. And he did up, um, about three shovelfuls and gave it back. And then watched her as she did the rest. I, I'm, I'm thinking, what in the world is going on with this? How's that kind of stuff going on? Now, I tell you that story for a purpose here. How many of you have developed an opinion about this young man? <laughs> we developed an opinion about him, didn't you? You developed an opinion about the entire situation, yet not a single one of you was there. Not a single one of you talked to either of the neighbors. And let me tell you one, one more thing. Neither did I. The entire story I told you was completely from somebody observing it from a distance. Never interviewed anyone. Never asked any questions. And just passed on what I saw. And by me passing on what I saw, and it was true, I told you every bit of detail that I saw. I didn't change any of it. I didn't add to it. It's exactly what happened. But we have already developed an opinion, and yet we were never there. And I didn't ask. What if I had gone over and I asked him, and he says, "Well, I hurt something, and I wasn't uh, wasn't permitted to." What if there was another reason that had gone on? See, I don't know any of that stuff, so I couldn't convey that in the truth that I was telling you. We have to be very careful with the truth that we pass on to people. Because we can very easily become unfaithful with the truth, even though I've told you exactly what happened. Now, that's a case, that's in a story that you weren't around for. Let me give you a story that you were around for. How many have heard about Philadelphia's newest 30, uh, $330 million man? Anybody heard about that? When I was growing up, we had the $6 million man. How many remember the $6 million man? Yeah, we had the $6 million man. We now have the $330 million man. Bryce Harper signed a $330 million contract over a course of 13 years. He will earn 330. How many were, were, were along, saw some of this? I mean, you know, I'm not talking about baseball fans. How many of you saw some of this in the news over the last couple of months? I mean, people that are not even baseball fans have probably seen some of the things in the news. Let me tell you some of the stuff that was in the news if you were not aware of this. There was news reported that Bryce Harper 
did not want to play in Philadelphia. There was news reported that he wanted a, uh, a deal with certain parameters. There was news reported that he insisted on having a three-year opt-out. There was news reported a couple weeks ago that they were rounding third and just about ready to sign the contract. And then a few days later said, no longer is Philadelphia the top team. All these people brought out news in shaped opinion. I heard that it got so bad that Bryce Harper's sister took to whatever format that she did, Twitter, I don't know, whatever it was, and put out there, says, there's a whole lot of stuff being said about my brother, whatever it was, I think it was brother, um, that's completely untrue. And he has no problem playing in Philadelphia. This is from the sister. But how many of you heard different reports along, along this line? And then when the whole thing is finally done, we find out that a lot of those reports had no truth to it at all. We have to be very careful with what we allow to happen to our emotions, to what we allow to happen to what I am thinking about a situation. Because as much as I believe in the truth, I can be swayed very easily to something that is not true. Be faithful with the truth that you speak and be faithful with truth that you hear. Just because somebody told you something doesn't mean that it's true. You can be in a doctor's office and the doctor may tell you in six months you're going to die. But he doesn't know. What he knows is that most people who have the condition that he is saying that you now have have died in a period of six months. But they don't know that's going to happen to you. Just because somebody speaks something that is usually true, often has been true, does not mean it's going to be true for you. And we've got to be careful about it. We've been talking about what faithfulness to God, what faithfulness is to God. And the first things we looked at was the area of truth and the area of, of things dealing with other people. We then moved on and, and looked at some things that God has given us and how we can be faithful with it. We actually still have some more things to get into that, but we're going to take a little bit of a break here. Because it seemed from some of the comments that it was getting a little heavy for you. And some people are saying, man, I am so unfaithful. (laughs) How is there any hope? So we're going to spend some time and look at the hope. And so of all the stories in the Word of God that we can go to, to look at unfaithfulness and how how you can get back to being faithful, I think probably the the poster child of this is Paul. And in Acts chapter 9, we're going to take a look at the life of Paul, of course, here he's called Saul. And how many know that, that Saul had a call on his life? He didn't get that at the point of conversion. The call on his life came when he's born, or even before he was born. Before he was even formed, the Word of God says he's, God's got a plan. He was given abilities before he used them for God. He was giving giftings before he used them for God. And he had some strong gifts. And just looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how many know that the word of knowledge was working inside of Paul? The word of wisdom was working in Paul. We saw the gift of miracles, the gifts of healings working inside of Paul. Prophecy 
was working inside of Paul. I don't know if it happened or not. We didn't have it recorded, but it may have even been tongues and interpretation worked through, uh, worked through Paul. We see a lot of the gifts that were working through Paul, but for much of his life, he was unfaithful to all those things. He didn't use them for the kingdom. In fact, he used them against the kingdom. Let's look at verse 1 in Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembled, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now Saul was confused. He was thinking that he was serving the Lord. He was thinking that he was doing the work of God and what he was doing. And he was very zealous with it. And he felt that those who served Jesus were a perversion to the God that he knew. He developed a righteous anger towards these people, but this anger that he had went against the things of God. I put in your outline for you, righteous anger that goes against God can never be from God. I mean, can it? If a righteous anger that you have goes against God, it cannot be of God. So where does the inspiration that this righteous anger of Saul comes from? It's against the things of God. So where, where would we think that righteous anger would have its origin? It would have its origin in the, in the kingdom of Satan. And so this person who served God fervently, spent time studying the word, went to schools to learn how to be a Pharisee, and thought he was living his life for God, adopted an anger from the kingdom of darkness. And lived his life to fulfill it and used his abilities that God gave him to go against the kingdom of God. Now, can you think of anyone more unfaithful than that? That is a pretty unfaithful person right there. How many Christians today are angry at something? But they feel they have God's heart on the matter, but they are angry. How many Christians today are in exactly the same place as Paul. Unfaithful with what is God's, thinking the entire time that they are faithful. I put in your your outline, my attitude and inspired actions in the anger will often reveal the source. My attitude and inspired actions in the anger, will often reveal the source of that anger. Look at the actions that that Saul was spurred on to do, to 
to kill people, to split up families. We, he tells of it later on that he didn't just go after the men, which is what most people did. He went after the women. He went after the children. He went after them all. Because his zeal was so strong for this. That's not what God would be having to, to have us do. So, looking at Saul's response, was he faithful? He wasn't faithful to God. He was faithful to himself. He was faithful to what he thought was right. But he had callings. He had giftings. He had ability from God. Now, if you were God, put yourself in God's position. You were God. You got Saul down here on the earth slaughtering all these Christians that are following after Jesus. What would you do? What would you do with someone as unfaithful as Saul? Would you see him as worthwhile, worth the effort to turn him around? Would you see that as a possibility? Now think about it this way. You may be looking at this and say, well, look at all the ability that Saul had. Look at all the giftings that he had. All right. How many people did Saul kill? And with each one that he killed, these are people who served Jesus Christ. With each one of them, they had a gift or gifts. They had a calling and they had abilities. With each one that he killed, he took away those callings, those giftings, and those abilities from the kingdom of God. If you were God, would you have put up with it? Let's go on here. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples. Now the Lord said this in a vision. In a vision. Now, sometimes we go over this. We don't go over this passage a whole lot. Uh, a whole lot. But uh, every once in a while when we have, I've gone over some of these things with you. I'm just going to throw them out there to you. If you want to write them down, you can. Maybe this is old hat to you. You've already got this. But just in case it needs to be reviewed with anybody. Uh, one of the things that Brother Hagin used to always emphasize with us is the strength of the revelation will be in proportion to the coming opposition. That if you get a revelation from God, it, you won't get a vision for something that you could have had a still small voice for. You may want a vision. But if you get a vision it's because the opposition coming against you is going to be very strong. In just about every case that we can see in the Word of God, 
the opposition that comes, no matter how strong the vision was, no matter how strong the dream or the whatever it was, it causes them to waver a little. No matter how strong something comes to you from God, just know the opposition is going to be stronger. But you can hang on to what God said. Brother Hagin used to tell us this. He says he loves it when he gets a still small voice. He got excited. Still small voices came up in it because he said there's not going to be a whole lot of opposition to that. <laughs> he said when he had a vision, he knew, oh man, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Be careful what you ask for. But there are seven levels of revelation. I don't think I came up with this on my own. Probably got it from somebody and just wrote it down. But I'm going to give you these seven levels of revelation. First off is a direct statement in the Word. When the Word of God says, Thou shalt not, or thou shalt, or something along those lines, that's a direct revelation in the Word. It says right out what you ought to do. That's revelation. Obey it. We ought to, we ought to do it. Direct statement in the Word. The second one is an inward witness. On the inside of you comes a witness to do something. To go somewhere. To, to um, take a certain kind of action. Just an inward witness that comes up on the, the inside of you. The next level is revealed truth in the Word. You're studying the Word of God. It doesn't come out and directly say this, but all of a sudden your eyes are opened up and you see, that's what that means. That's revelation. And it's going to require some kind of action on your part. And opposition will come against you for that. But that's the third level. The fourth is a dream. A dream may come to you. We saw that with the Joseph. Um, not only the father of, of Jesus, but also Joseph in the Old Testament. We saw that dreams came. And things were spoken in, in that way. The next, the fifth, an audibly spoken direction. An audibly spoken direction. This is when you hear a voice. It's not in your spirit. You hear a voice and it directs you to to do something. I remember a story Brother Hagen gave us about that one time. And uh, you may remember me telling it. Uh, it was one of the most moving stories he ever told us. This story about Sister Gray. How many remember Sister Gray? How many don't remember Sister Gray? Never heard of Sister Gray? A couple of people never heard of Sister Gray. I'll tell you this, uh, the shortened version of Sister Gray. But he was in a service uh somebody else's church. And uh, somebody had come in and whispered some things to the pastor. And before the, he was up, the worship service was over, he came, uh, this pastor came on up and he said, Hey, uh, Sister Gray was taken to the hospital. She's in bad shape. Uh, the doctor doesn't expect that she'll live through the night. But uh, let's all pray for her that she would recover. And so the whole church got together and they, they prayed and they believed God and, and they, um, they stated that she was healed. And they went on with the rest of the service, believing God that what they prayed for was was done. And so um, the next night they had another uh, meeting and the same uh, person came in service, walked on over to the pastor, whispered some things in his ear and the worship service was over. This pastor came up to the front and he said, well, Sister Gray made it through the night. They didn't think she would, but she made it through the night and the doctor said, it looks like she's through the worst part of this and I think she's going to make it. But she's still terribly weak. So we need to pray that God would do a complete work and strengthen her body. And so the whole church got together and they believed God that she would be strengthened in her body 
and that God would do a complete healing, a complete work in her. And Brother Hagin was up on the, the front of the stage and he said it was a voice that came from behind me. He said, I turned around to see it. And the voice that spoke behind him said this, that's it. They've taken her out of my hands now. She'll be dead in three days. You see, because, and he explained it to us. He said, you see, the first time they didn't ask for a partial work. They asked for a complete work. And they all believed God that it was done. When they came in the second time and they heard the report, they decided that the first time they didn't get what they wanted or what they asked for. And they took it to God again. Now you say, well, how come Sister Gray has to suffer from that? Well, Sister Gray wasn't in a position. I don't know that she was, she was conscious or, or, any of that, but if you're conscious and you have the ability to go directly to God, no one can take you out of the hand of God. But if you're not able to do that fighting on your own, you depend on other people. They can. You've got to be careful with it. Anyway, that was an audible voice, an example of such things. Audible, audibly spoken direction. Of course, Brother Hagin used to always tell us when he told us that story, he said, I wasn't as bold then as I am now. <laughs> he would tell us, he says, I should have gotten up and said something. And he uh, regretted that he had not done that. But uh, he didn't. And maybe if he'd gotten up and said something, maybe he felt like he could have uh, turned them back into another direction. But anyway, that's how that had gone. And three days she was dead. The next level, the sixth, is a vision. A vision. You get a vision from God. We see numerous times in the Word of God where a vision came. Things were spoken. Things were taught. And the final one is a face-to-face. You can think of Moses in the burning bush. You can think of Moses in the times that he was with God. You can think of, uh, or burning bush might be more of an audible spoken part there, but this is time where you're actually in, in the presence of God. Not a vision. You are physically there. And there's a few times that you've seen that in the Word of God. Paul even refers to one time. He says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. But he says a man was called up into the third heaven and things were spoken to him and he saw things. So those are the seven levels of revelation, direct statement in the word, inward witness, revealed truth in the word, a dream, audibly, audibly spoken direction, vision, and face-to-face, a face-to-face meeting, so to speak. Uh, here's what is not included in this list that was, that was there. Prophecy and encouraging words from believers. Prophecy and encouraging words from believers. You see, prophecy would be for confirmation, not direction. You should never get direction from a prophecy. It can confirm what you have already received direction on. But if you are led by a prophecy, you will get in trouble. So anyway, those are just some things we sometimes go over when we hit this this spot because of the uh, uh, number of... Uh, divine ways that that God has spoken to the people here. Ananias being one, Saul being another. Now look at verse 11 again. So the Lord said, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying and in a vision. So this is a vision that came to Paul after his experience that he had on the road. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. 
So he had a vision of seeing Ananias come and lay his hand on him. Apparently, the vision came before God sent word to Ananias because Ananias is being told this has already happened. He's already seen that. Now, can you imagine the confidence that God has in, in one of his servants that he could tell Saul ahead of time, Ananias is coming. Oh yeah, I haven't told him. He may not say this, but I haven't told him yet. But when I do, he's going to come. I hope that God has that kind of confidence in us. That he can, he can do that. But that's what he did. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So Paul received a vision about Ananias. Now, if you're Ananias and you receive a word from God and God says, Ananias, I have an assignment for you. This is what I want you to do. What is, if you are a faithful person, what is the appropriate response? Yes, sir. Is any other response appropriate for a faithful person? No. If you are faithful, what God has told you is all you need to know. He does not give incomplete information. And if God has told you, have the confidence that what God said you should do. If we are faithful people, if God speaks something to us, we just say, yes, sir. How many times you watch military movies and the military movie has some crazy person in there that the uh, sergeant, the uh, uh, commanding officer that is there, he says to do something and this one pipes up and questions and I don't want to. And, and what do we all think? Oh man, will you just hush your mouth and get out there and do what you're supposed to do? And of course, he doesn't. It makes it hard for all the people that are around him. That's the appropriate response. Does Ananias do this? No, he does not. So what's that, what's that tell you about the faithfulness of Ananias? He's not quite there yet, is he? But yet God called on him. God called on him and had enough confidence to tell Saul ahead of time, Ananias is coming. But then when he comes to Ananias, Ananias says what? Take a look at the the following verse again. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How many know that's not yes, sir? I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, what's he saying? All right, Lord, I hear you. But are you sure you want me to go to him? I know what he's here to do. Are you, are you sure you want me? You want to check your facts again? I think your facts might be a little bit off on this. Because, um, you know, the guy I know, he's trying to kill people like me. Are you sure? Look at these first, first words here. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. I have heard from many about this man. How many times have we heard about the thing that God wants us to do? How many times have we heard something that goes against what God revealed to us? Your friends or your relatives might say something. Well, I don't think you ought to do that. (laughs) But it's not what was revealed. 
we got people that are going to come and, and speak to you. Now, there's times in the Word of God that people thought they had a direction from God, and God sent people to tell them otherwise. That can happen too. You got to make sure you're listening. Sometimes we go to God and we say, but, but Lord, my situation here is this. God may say, I want you to go out there and do something that has to do with money. Well, Lord, my situation is I don't have any. Well, understand if God told you to do something with money, He didn't tell you to do something with what you don't have. What you're thinking is, I've already got that money earmarked. I've already got that, that money marked for something, and um, that's not really what I want to do with that particular money. I don't really have any surplus to work from. But God answers His concerns, doesn't He? God doesn't just say, Ah, I thought you were faithful and go on to somebody else. He speaks to him, doesn't he? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to hear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now look at this, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, and he spoke what the Lord told him. Now that's faithful, isn't it? But there's a little stumbling along the way. So Ananias is a faithful servant, but there's still room to be more faithful. There's still room to be be a little bit better in, in that. I put um, I put this in your outline for you. God will deal with your questioning his assignment. He will deal with it. Don't feel like you're going to miss it completely just because you questioned the assignment. God would deal with your questioning His assignment as long as you listen to His response. As long as you are listening to what God has to say, He will listen to your questions. But when you stop listening to God, remember Jesus' famous saying, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, sometimes I have heard something and that shuts me off from hearing the things of God. I've heard or I want to do a particular thing and God says, don't do it. Uh-uh-uh. Get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to be in fear. I'm going to go out there and do this thing. And we shut off hearing from God. God will deal with my questions as long as I'm listening to Him. And I love the way Ananias does this. He brings up a question that he's got and God answers, go. And he tells him what? And he doesn't ask any more questions. He just goes. I don't know. I, I think some people were, some people might be a one question faithfulness level. That's, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a step up for a lot of us. <laughs> one question faithfulness level. But more, many more at a two question faithfulness level. Other people at a three question faithfulness level. How many questions was Moses asking at the burning bush? He had quite a few questions, didn't he? I don't know, was it four or five question level? And he kept coming and God kept having an answer for him. But God kept entertaining everything that he was asking. But I am not, but this. And, and God kept talking with him about it. He didn't just write him off. He kept talking to him about it until he got to the point that said, look, send somebody else. I'm really not good for this. I Basically, I don't want to do it. And when he got to that point and he's not listening to God anymore, what does God do? Listen, boy, I told you to go. 
Now you get going. And he, he got a little sterner with him, didn't he? But up till then, he was, he was, uh, they were having a con- conversation going on. They were going along with this thing. It was, it was alright. It is unfaithfulness in us that produces questions along this line. I don't want to do it. Or should I really go and do this? Or is this really what you want me to do? Generally, it's an unfaithfulness thing. Because there's, and there is never a time in the Word of God that he did not give the command in one or two sentences and it contained everything that you needed. It was there. But generally we like to go a little bit deeper. I put this in your outline. Make sure you got this. I wanted to make sure you had this, this down. Pride and deception go hand in hand. Pride and deception Go hand in hand. If you are going to be deceived, it is first off because there is some pride. Think of one of the birth, the biggest guys who was deceived and became the deceiver. We know him as Lucifer, Satan. What does he say in the famous statement of his fall? I will the five I wills that he does I will do this and I will do this and I will do this because his pride got to the point that I am better and bigger than God and once he got to the point where he thought he was better and bigger than God is when deception could come in there's the next one in the same way humility and truth go together the more humble of a person you are, the more resistant to deception you will be. The more prideful you are, the more open to deception you will be. And the more closed you are to truth. Going back to the story we told you in the beginning with the neighbor in the snow. You tell a story like that that can pluck on your emotions and sometimes without even seeing how our pride got tweaked and deception is able to come in the news media does this many times with so many situations and they get you upset and they I don't even know if they do this intentionally or if they know what they're doing but they tap into your pride proud of who you are proud of certain things about you and these other people you can relate to them because they're close to you you can get you can get proud because you're poor you can get proud because you're middle class and they'll get you angry against the rich many different things that they'll they'll do along this this ways but once that is done once that's let's just take the rich and the and the poor example you got people that once they hear that the rich are being taxed more. You know, some of them uh, crazy people in Congress that want to tax the rich people to 70%, 80%, 90%. Uh, would you go to work if 90% of your money was being taken away? You wouldn't, um, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? And as New York is finding, as they uh, tax the rich, that the rich have decided to leave. Then if the rich leave, 
there goes their money. We've given you the figures before. I don't have them off the top of my head as, as much, but I, they're, they're close to this anyway. That the top 1% of wage earners in this country pay something along the lines of 90% of all taxes. That's not their fair share. But you see, they get into a pride thing and get you proud for where you are and angry at them. And if you try and come along with the figures, you can go right to the IRS and look at their figures and they'll tell you who it is that's, that's paying most of the, most of the stuff, most of the taxes. But if you show them to people, they resist it. Why? Because pride has taken hold of them. Truth cannot penetrate. And they're forever deceived. Saul was deceived into thinking that the people who followed Jesus were against his God. That was a deception. He fell into it because of pride. He was proud of his Jewish heritage. He was proud that he was raised a Pharisee. You can saw some of this in some of the things that he, he says other, t- other places. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came against Jesus because they were proud. They were not humble. And they could not receive the truth that Jesus spoke. You've got to be careful of pride. I put this, this um, note down from Brother Keith Moore. Pride believes lies, but humility knows the truth. I've looked at that for quite a long time, and I just, I just love every part of that phrasing. It's humility knows, not just understands, not just believes. When you adopt a humble nature, you will just know the truth. I know that's true. I don't understand why, but I know that is the truth. I know that's the truth. Pride believes lies, but humility knows the truth. Let's go on to verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, And is this not he who destroyed those who call on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? So, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Now look at this. We got people. Saul increased all the more in strength and found the Jews who dwelt in Damascus proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Who inspires that? Is God going to inspire his uh, new recruit to be killed? So where's the inspiration come from for the death? And who does it come to? People who say they believe in God are now ready to kill this guy. Now we need to kill him. Uh, apparently God is uh, it's not doing his job. We need to get out there and take care of this. And it says their plot became known to Saul. Now, that is a great understatement right there. 
how does this plot become known to Saul? I mean, talk about over, uh, underselling something. If you turn over to Acts chapter 22, we have the account of this in verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, Paul, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. How did the plot become known to Paul? In a vision, he was in a trance. And he saw this come down. Isn't that kind of an undersell? And the plot became known to Saul. But apparently there was more to it than that. There was a big reveal that went on there. Let's get back over to Acts chapter 9. Verse 25. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And did not believe that he was a disciple. They just probably figured this is a new tactic. I'll pretend to be one of you. Then I'll find out who y'all are and we'll kill you. Now, Saul is on the side of the kingdom now. And he goes into Jerusalem. They're still seeing him in the old way. But wouldn't the Spirit of God witness to them? Things have changed. Wouldn't that come up as a witness on the inside of them? This is, this, this is alright now. Take them. Just like it did with Ananias. But they're not, they're not receiving that, are they? Tells you a little bit about them. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. A lot of of people want to try and kill When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now all these disciples around there are having a hard time receiving Saul. But then one stepped up and went against the grain with everyone else. And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And then Barnabas went there and he had a witness. This is all right. He's hearing from God. It is okay to go to Saul. And he goes and he sits down and he hears his story. And in his spirit, he receives it. That's good. That's good. This is, this is God. And he brings him to the apostles. And things go well. But in just this one chapter, just this one chapter... Chapter 9. We haven't even finished the whole thing yet. But just in the parts that we read. How many people feel they're on God's side? And not only are they not on God's side, but they're against what God is doing. You see how easy it is to fall into this? So, who gets the grace? Why does someone like Saul get grace from God when he had killed so many calling, people with callings, so many people with giftings, so many people 
with ability given from God. How does he get grace? Because I bet you, if most of us were alive during that day, we wouldn't be giving it to him. We wouldn't, we wouldn't like it. I can't speak for you, but I know myself. I have not run into a Paul that was out there killing Christians. But I've run into a Nancy Pelosi. And I know what I would feel in that particular area. And if God said, no, go, I would be more like Ananias. I think I'd be more than a one question level of faithfulness though. I think I might have a couple. But God, she's responsible for so many people dying. She's responsible for legislation that has hurt so many in the kingdom. Do you really want me to go? I would be asking questions like that. See, we can't be, uh, can't be doing it. So who gets the grace? Who is it that can get the grace? And if I understand who gets the grace, I can understand why the grace would come to me. Because if I have been unfaithful, which most of us have determined at this point that we have been and maybe even still are, we need grace. I need the grace of God to come down. Need that grace. Oh, man. I have not been faithful with what I know from the Word of God. There are times I have laid aside what the Word of God has said to do and done what I wanted to do. There are times I have treated other people the way I wanted to treat them instead of the way God said to treat them. There are times that I did not believe the best in people. I believed the worst because I wanted to. And the list can keep on going on and on and on. So who gets the grace? Well, I I sat back there and I began to think about it. And can you think of a single scripture that speaks about how God comes against those that are unfaithful. I can think of scriptures where people were unfaithful and God dealt with them in a certain way, but I can't see a place where it is taught that God says, the unfaithful I will deal with. I see what He does with those that are faithful. In the end... Those that are faithful are rewarded and those that were unfaithful were, were done. We're talking about while you're alive. While you're here and alive. But here's one that I did think. I can come up with a scripture that talks about how God deals with a certain group of people. But it doesn't classify them as unfaithful. And it's over in James chapter 4 and verse 6. You all know this verse very well. But He gives more grace. That's what we need, Grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the what? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is so important. It's repeated in 1 Peter 5, 5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This all comes from, and it's a quote from the Old Testament, from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. It says, surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. So not only is it in the Old Testament, two writers in the New Testament decided to quote it and brought it into the New Testament that way. You see, if I am unfaithful in the things that I'm doing, but humble, when God speaks correction to me, what do I do? Oh, I need to change. Look at Paul. 
Paul was on his way to kill some more Christians. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you that I'm persecuting? I am the Lord. And he began and had this discourse. And what is the words out of Paul's mouth are, tell me what I must do. That's a humble person. I have lived all my life thinking that what I am doing is right. But at your word, at your rebuke, I will let it all go. Tell me what I must do. You see, you may find many places where you have not been faithful. And even today, you may still say, I still have a long way to go to where I can be counted as faithful. But if you keep yourself humble, that when God speaks something to you, you receive it and you change. God's not against you. But if you become proud and you come against him and are unfaithful for the things that he has, he resists you with everything he's got. And we looked at Paul and we've seen what the Lord says. And he sends his prophet to commission him to go off and to do some great things. I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer for my name's sake. But he's going to go before me, before the Jews, before Gentiles. He's going to go before kings. And he's going to declare the gospel. This is what he's going to do. Because when the rebuke came, he yielded. You see, the thing that I have to do is make sure that my pride doesn't keep me on a road that's a wrong one. Oh, no, no. I believe that to be true. No, no, no. That's, that's not right. Oh, no. I'm going, I'm going in this direction. And I can become righteously angry at the people who are going the other, the other way. You'll see this sometimes in the church today. You know, we, we have a church service. Our worship service is different for some people. Sometimes people walk in. They say, what in the world is going on? And, you know, a lot of times people come in the first time and we try and sit them down and tell them, it says, now look, and we have worship service that will go on for maybe 30 minutes. And a lot of, I tell, when I'm going over with people, I tell them this. I said, look, some people will stand the entire time. If you don't want to stand the whole time and you need to sit down, I want you to feel free to sit down. But you're going to see a lot of people that are going to stand. They're going to raise their hands and they're going to worship God. And we try to, to help them so that they, uh, they don't get shocked. Because I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church, you know, we sang three hymns. Verse 1, 2, and 5. Those three hymns, a number was put up on a board up in the, in the front of the church. You know, 135, 253. And then you could look up in the hymnal for that and then you would stand there and you would sing at the appointed times. But generally, you sang one song and then sat down. And then you sang another song and then you sat down. And then you sang another song and you sat down and church was done in an hour. When I got in my first church service, it wasn't done in an hour. That was quite a, quite a shock. But what happens sometimes is that people who have grown up, been around a church service that um, sang three hymns, 20-minute message, a few other parts to it, done in an hour, 
when they come in and they see something else, oh, this is bad. This is wrong. And yet nowhere in the Word of God does it tell you how to have church. It doesn't say have three hymns and be dismissed. It doesn't tell you how many choruses to sing. It doesn't tell you that hymns are better than choruses or choruses are better than hymns. It doesn't tell you any, any aspect of what you should do in church. And yet we've come up with opinions. And if church is not like this, you know, sometimes you can get involved in a church worship service and go on for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. And you go to a place and they're done worship in 10 minutes. And you just scoff at them. You call this a worship service. I thought we were going to have church here today. And just kind of put them down. Why? Because my pride got hold of me. And I can't even see the good that they're doing in their own lives. Because they have to come up to what I'm doing. And I can become righteously angry at those things. And what we'll see is righteously angry people who try and get people who raise their hands to put them down and people who raise their hands to get people who don't to do so. This isn't good. Be faithful with what you've been given. You don't have to convert everybody to everything that you, that you do. But be faithful with what you've been given. Make sure that pride has not gotten a hold of you. In your areas that you have been unfaithful in, God's, God just smiles down on you. He doesn't resist you. He doesn't think badly about you. He says, all right, we've got to do some things. We're going to be working on some things. We're going to be bringing this out. But they're listening. As long as I'm listening to God, He can help me in those areas. But when I become prideful, and I hang on. No, this is right. I know this is right. I won't receive anything else. He's um. We're gonna, we're gonna have a problem. We can't we can't do that. There was a story for those of you who were in the end times class. I have been teaching end times for um, decades. I'd say decades now, and uh, pretty much, you know, I keep studying it, and and you you. You look at what current events are going on, what's happening in, in the Bible, and you always try and bring it about. And those that were out here in the, in the class, uh, there was a particular book I, I read, and I, I, I let you all know about it. I think I may have told you about it on Sunday, maybe once, but um, didn't go over all that much. But there was this particular book that I, I got hold of, and I was reading, and it was aggravating me. Because every time we go through the end times class, I always try and absorb more material, because I'd rather learn some more things. And this book was aggravating me. This guy was going over stuff and he was, just make, he was making me mad because I didn't feel that he was being, true, being right with the, the truth and the Word of God. And, but he made, this, he made this statement. And I said, i got to find out if that statement is true or if that statement is false. I need to find out. And the more I'm reading it, the more I'm getting frustrated with this, with this person and the way that they're taking on the things and the things that they're doing. I mean, just getting frustrated. Almost righteously angry at the guy. I wanted to just throw the book out. But I said, no, no, I'm, I feel like I need to keep on, on going with this thing. And you see, pride will get you the, you, you, you'll, you'll have a problem. Well, one of the things that this guy had put out was that in the book of Daniel, Rome is not mentioned. How many remember that? Rome is not mentioned in the book of Daniel. And I thought, there's no way. Rome is all through that thing. What do you mean Rome is not involved? And so I began to look at it more and, 
and uh, looked at some of the evidence, and he actually used something that I used in the classes all these all these times, and um, uh, I knew that to be a, a case in point, a, a fact in there, and he brought it out to, to why that meant Rome was not involved. And his whole thing was, Rome is not that particular beast that Daniel's vision speaks of, because Rome didn't act the way Daniel said it would act. And I'll tell you what, he was right about that. And most times that we went through the end times class and we looked at that, we saw that the revived Rome would become this, where it tore apart everything and killed stuff and just wiped stuff out, which Rome didn't try and do. Rome tried to preserve. They wanted you to be a happy person that was under their, their rulership. But the, the, what he brought out was that the Islamic Caliphate was not that way. That the Islamic Caliphate, when they went through a place, they destroyed every religious relic. They destroyed everything to do with any other religion that was not theirs. And he said, this is the beast that, wrote, that Daniel talked about. And when he finally got to the meat of it, I said, ah, oh, that is so true. And I went through all my outlines and took out Rome. Now, that's not, Rome's not, not saying that Rome's not involved in the end time prophecies that are in there. Rome certainly was and is certainly involved in the book of Revelation in, the, in some parts of that you'll, you'll see in all other places that are, that are in there. Rome was involved, um, with the seven heads and, and so forth. But this Islamic caliphate was very much in there with, with Daniel. And so I was able to uh, take that. But see, my pride was trying to get a hold of me and get me to resist the truth. I thank God that I didn't, that I stayed with it because what I understood from the Word of God was far better than what I understood before. And um, now one of the things that was, uh, that was helpful with, with the book of Daniel was that every single nation in the book of Daniel that he talked about that had, that had world rulership, every single one of them had at one time or another made their capital Babylon. Except Rome. It was the only one. And I say I knew that. And we always brought that out. Well, Rome will make Babylon the capital in the time to go. But when you go back through and you see Rome, and I hadn't had done it to this point. Rome, for only a very brief period of time, controlled the area of Babylon and then gave it up. They didn't, they didn't have it. But you see, Babylon is a big part of the book of Daniel, a big part of the, of the end times. And the reason that all of the kingdoms of Daniel centered around Babylon is the reason why Rome was not involved, but this particular one was. But you see, if I hung on to what I thought I knew, I would have not received a greater understanding on something I thought I already had understanding on. You look at the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and Jesus resisted them because of their pride. They were unfaithful, but it was their pride that caused them to be resisted. Your unfaithfulness does not cause God to resist you. He will continue to reach out to you. He will continue to try and pull you in to the truth that is there. It's your pride that will keep you from it. And God says, what about the proud? He resists them. Don't get in a place to be resisted by God. Stay humble. I have to understand, I don't know all that the Word of God has to say. I've got a lot more to learn. And I want to keep on learning. I want to keep on coming to a place of greater understanding. we got some more to show you about 
these things, I want you to see how God deals with you as being unfaithful. Because the devil wants to bring you into guilt and condemnation. But God doesn't. God wants you to put you in a place where you can receive, you can alter, and you can change, you can become better. Are you in a position to receive grace? Or are you in a position to receive something else? Your pride will keep you from receiving changes in other people. Your pride will keep you from receiving from other people. Humility won't go that way. Make sure we stay in a place of being humble. I receive from other people. Even people I may not like a whole lot. Or don't appreciate their gift. Or the way that they go about things. Don't go in that direction. We want to be in a place to receive grace. One of the things that Paul always wrote in his epistles when he was writing to a church. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. He writes to the Ephesians. He writes to the Colossians. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Constantly he see, he says this. It's one of his, his phrases. I did have one note that it was taught to me that he changes that up when he addresses one particular group of people. Remember what that group is? When he writes to a church, he writes grace and peace be multiplied to you. When he writes to a pastor, he writes grace, mercy, and peace be on you. Compare Timothy, Titus, you will see grace, mercy, and peace. There's a whole sermon of why mercy is added to the other ones. <laughs> but we need grace. I need grace. I gotta keep myself in a place where grace can flow to me. Keep yourself humble. If you keep yourself in the place of being humble, God will do the things necessary to get you the place to be faithful. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you are not finished with us, that you continue to develop us and to grow us. We want to be seen as faithful in your eyes. But our first step is to make sure that we stay humble. Humble. Humility. That's our part. I thank you, Father, that you continue to minister to us and help us in this area. When pride gets a hold of us, we resist all instruction and all correction. But it doesn't need to be that way. I pray that we can be just like Paul. That when the correction came, tell me what I need to do. Thank you, Father, that you do. This morning is our Communion Sunday. Our ushers are going to be coming, passing out the Communion elements to you. We know that when Jesus went to the cross, that he was faithful to the cause that God had.
He was faithful. Pride could have certainly wormed its way into his life. And he could say, I don't deserve this. These people don't deserve me going through all this. But he didn't. He stayed humble. And even went to the cross for us. He was beaten. He was bruised for things he never did. He was nailed to a cross and he bled and he died. Because of his great love for us. As God loves us in this great and immense way. We too need to love each other. Don't let pride get in the way of you loving other people. Stay humble. Stay loving. Stay caring. There are people that are in your life and as long as you don't be in a place of resistance, they may bring you some of the greatest truths that you've received. But your pride can keep you from it. I shared that long story with you about Revelation just because I want you to see my pride could have kept me from something that really helped me. Helped me understand the present end time situation better than I understood it before. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before any of it had occurred, he knew what was coming. His disciples didn't quite grasp the truth of what was coming, though he had spoken it to them. He knew what was coming. And so he was trying to prepare them and get them ready. And he said, as long as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he broke the bread and he passed it around the room before the supper. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we eat together, let's remember the great humility that Jesus had. To take on sin that he did not do. To take on a punishment he did not deserve. To be beaten. To be shamed. To be separated from the Father. All what he did not deserve. But he did it because of his great love for you. Let's eat together and remember what was done in his body. After supper, he took the cup. He passed it around. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant only covered up sin. This one washes it away. Because of what Jesus did, I can stand clean before the Father. And one of the stories he told, he says, as I have washed you, now you need to go out and wash others. Let's remember, our feet were washed, we were made clean, and it is not above us to wash the feet of others. That as Jesus forgave us, we forgive them. Let's drink together. Glory to God.
Thank you, Jesus. Well, Father, you've given us countless exhortations in your word to stay out of pride and get into humility. Lots of places where we are inspired to stay in the area of humility. Lots of good reasons. And here's another one. That as far as us being faithful, even if we are still unfaithful in some areas, if we are humble, you deal with us so much different. And I thank you for it. As we go out this week, we want to grow in our area of faithfulness. We must maintain humility. That any correction, anything that you speak to us, we just receive it. And we make adjustments. We want to get to the place that when God speaks to us a word, we obey. We don't question. I thank you that you're bringing us there. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother Victor, come on. And uh, welcome back to Sister in Tow. <laughs> Glory to God, and uh, good afternoon all. Um, we're always happy to have you in church and, um, you know, coming together to share in love and in fellowship, uh, both here and for our brethren that are watch, uh, watching us um, on our uh, Facebook channel. Uh, scripture says that how good and pleasant it is when we come together in unity um, it is like the oil upon the head of Aaron, you know, that flows down the garment down to uh, the feet. Uh, you see, there God commands his blessing. So whenever we gather like this, we we share in that love, in that unity, in that joy. So that's why we are always happy to have you in church. So thank you very much for coming and um, thank God for the word of, of God today. It was so powerful. Uh, during the week, myself and my wife were just discussing a scripture, um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not to thy own understanding. Uh, 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your, thy paths. And we're just talking how many times we've not really obeyed that scripture, you know. You know when God is speaking, In all thy ways. And we're like, Lord, how many times have we really you know, just going from the house to the school, going from the house to Walmart, have we said, okay, Lord, we are going this path. Um, and probably just to listen, if the Lord is saying, okay, go, or just, why not take two minutes and um, just hold on a little bit, you know, because you might not know what is on the way. You know, so we're just discussing how unfaithful we've been, you know, in our work with him and all of that, and I just thank God for the word today because um, the word pastor spoke came to comfort my spirit. I said, if you think you are unfaithful, but you keep yourself humble and ready to change when God speaks to you, then he's not against you. Amen. I think that was the word I received that really comfort my spirit, you know, keeping yourself in the place of humility so that when he speaks, you will listen and 
and change your ways. May God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. And we have um, some praise report here. Brodari said, the Lord brought us a new contractor this week. We will help us grow our business. Amen. You know, that is what God wants for us. Um, he has given us a seed now. It's to sow the seed and then have them grow. And we thank God for uh, the contact he made available for our brother. And Sister Ento is back to church. Thank God for the wonderful trip to India. We are happy to have you in church again today. He said, giving praise and glory to God for a wonderful mission trip to India and all that, all, and for all the great things he has done through this trip. Say thank you all my dear church family for all your love and support and prayers. I love and appreciate you all. And as she said, I hope to be able to share uh, more with you about the trip uh, sometimes later. Praise God. Really happy to have you in church today. And um, a few announcements from the bulletin. Uh, the prayer team for Egg Hunt will be meeting by 12.30 p.m. Um, just, just after the church service today. Uh, the first of our two classes on getting out of debt budget, budgeting, uh, building wealth, investment, and starting a business is today by 1 p.m. And the next one has been moved to Sunday, March 17th by 1 p.m. So all you need to do is to be in the church sanctuary by 1 p.m. and attend the class. And you can ask more questions from Bro Lamar after church. Uh, the men movie, men's movie night will be Friday 29th. So if you need more information about that, um, talk with Brother Keith um, to get more information on that. Hallelujah. So greet one another as we, uh, for those of us that are leaving, leave the church, and for those that are staying back for the teaching, you know, as we wait back to have that time together again. Uh, let's greet one another in love. God bless you all and have a great week. Amen.